Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, I greet those uh, worshiping and listening to us online this morning. Uh, This morning, uh, I've been asked uh, to preach on allegiance to Jesus the Lord. Um, And the person that asked me to do that said that I'd like for you to do this four days after the midterms. And that person is not here this morning. (laughs) I'm sure that you're listening to the sound of my voice, sir. (laughs) And we welcome you. Though it's been difficult for me to bring enough love in my heart to say that, that we actually welcome you. No, I'm just kidding. It's an honor to be here and to talk about this but it's especially important to simply talk about allegiance to Jesus the Lord. For at the end of the day, that saves us from the chaos. And it's all around us, and it's going to get worse in the next couple of years. I have a lot of friends who are trying to find churches whose politics agree with theirs. They're floating a lot. So they interview churches, and then if they're married, they and their wife decide. One guy in one church said that uh, someone got up in a home church and declared his political allegiance vehemently and hatefully so that my friend said, I do not think I have a brotherly relationship with him. And I thought, really? They never went back. So what is this about in the church? I have no idea what's going on out there, but what's this about in the church? And have you asked, I asked my friend, about their confession of faith there. You know, he never, he looks at me, no, no. He never mentions inquiring as to what these churches believe. Is it because identity politics is more important than Jesus now in the church? If that's true, our relationships all hang by a thread. Who you voted for last Tuesday might, you know, might blow you up if everybody knew who you voted for. That your relationship may survive this November. But something small, if it's all dependent on this kind of thing, we'll do it in. You know, what's going to happen when COVID comes back? That might do it in. You know, or you just may get tired of the praise leader here. <laughs> really, really, I mean, people, people do that. Cowboy contemporary or classical praise. Big deal. I found out a few years ago it was the most controversial issue in American churches. Really? 
that divides churches. And if you make it out of 2023, bless your heart, you're going to go into the 2024 presidential season. And all sorts of trash is going to be flying around in the air, landing on all of us. Blood pressures will go up. Pulse rates will accelerate. You might even get into a little atrial fibrillation. Hopefully not. What is the problem here? The problem here is allegiance confusion, malfunction, and deformation. That's the problem. It's not a political problem. It's a spiritual allegiance problem. Faith is allegiance to the crucified, ascended Lord of the world. And when I use the word Lord, it means it's the word is curios. Curios means he has all authority. It's not a word thrown around lightly. He has all authority. He breathes all the air in the room. Jesus is all the air in this room. Every bit of life we have here comes from him. So he has authority. That means he has the right and the power. That's what authority is. Some people have power and they act like they have authority. They don't. You don't have the right, but you got the power. You're a fraud. So, so this is crucial here that we identify who's got the right and the power. The way we know he has the right is his wounds. Might doesn't make right. His wounds, his death, that sealed the deal. He has all authority. Allegiance to the Lord then, who loves us, but never coerces us. And he never cancels us. You can get canceled out really fast right now. You can lose friends really fast. But Jesus is not a part of that. So I, this morning, I just tell you, we give all allegiance to Jesus here. I'm talking to the church. I'm concerned about you and me and all of us. And I'm saying that the, the, way, the way out of chaos into order is fall down worship of Jesus. Worship animates and redirects the internal and external life of the church. Worship of the Lord Jesus. Clear. We, got, we have to be clear about who, not just worship. It's not about how did you feel today? No. It's about, did you lift up the Lord Jesus today? Basic worship of the Lord Jesus reveals the truth. We've been doing, we've been praising. The praise this morning has revealed the Holy Spirit in this room what the truth is. The truth is, Jesus is Lord. He has the right and the power. 
and we are worshiping him. And there's nobody else on the planet to worship. Nobody. In 400 AD, the Roman Empire fell apart. Augustine wrote the book, The City of God, in answer to people who blamed it on the Christians. He said, you know, he denied that. It's a magnificent statement of the politics of Jesus. But in that statement, Augustine said, to observe the character of a people, we must examine the objects of their love. To observe the character of a people, we must examine the objects of their love. Habitual worship of the Lord Jesus transforms our loves. That's what this does. Worship is formative and transformative of all of us. So Jesus is Lord of all. So if he is, and James has been talking about this, others have been talking about this, you cannot evade public obedience to Jesus as Lord. In 1933, this is a little lesson from history, fascinating. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was 27 years old. He was a, he was a pastor, professor. And he's on the radio in 1933 in April. Hitler has just become, you know, dictator of Germany and disbanded the parliament in January of 33. 19 years before, in 1914, Adolf Harnack, the Bonhoeffer's teacher at the University of Berlin, and, and Harnack was simply an old-line liberal in the sense that he denied the ascension, he denied the resurrection, and he denied the substitutionary atonement. Harnack, Bonhoeffer's teacher, 19 years ago, had written the Bismarck's speech informing the German people that Germany was going to enter World War I. In other words, the church was in the Bismarck's back pocket doing his stuff. Bonhoeffer's on the radio in 1933. And the teacher and the, and the student has decided that his teacher's wrong, that Jesus was the incarnate Son of God that Jesus died on the cross and he's the savior of the world, that he was resurrected, that he's ascended, Lord of the world. So in April 1933, Bonhoeffer gets on the radio and he has a different message. He questions the authority of the Fuhrer. Fuhrer means leader, but it's leader on steroids. And he said, you know, Bonhoeffer says, the problem with Hitler is he recognizes no Fuhrer over the Fuhrer. And so he says, he is a misleader. At about that time, they cut him off the air. He was cut off the air, 1933. 
what he was saying is there's one kingdom. There's one Fuhrer. His name is Jesus. And you're not it. It's no wonder that in 1945, the Nazis killed Dietrich Bonhoeffer in April 1945, two weeks before the Allies liberated the town where he was murdered. That's what it means to practice the politics of Jesus among, out in the chaos. The backstory of this is Christians have been dealing with this for a long time. It goes all the way back to the first century. In the first century, at the Battle of Actium in 31 BC, Augustus Caesar won the battle and he consolidated the Roman Empire. All of the, all of the Roman propagandists, the spin doctors, declared that he was savior, solter, and curios of the world. He's the savior and lord of the world. <laughs> they, they ignored the fact that he actually died in 14 AD, during Jesus' childhood. He's dead. It didn't bother the spin doctors. They just kept on spinning. Oh, he's a savior who ended all war and established all good things. The myths of the spin doctors, the propagandists of governments, and every government has them, declared that the gods have chosen Rome. All emperors are agents of God's salvation. The emperor's worthy of worship as Lord and God. Remember now, Kyrios and Soter, those are New Testament words for Jesus. The Roman Empire, not only, they had, a new, they had an end times doctrine. The Roman Empire is the golden age of justice and peace. So during the first century, Rome is ramping up the pressure on Jesus' disciples to worship Caesar as son of God, Savior and Lord. The state is playing God. The spin doctors are out. You know what's interesting is I looked this up, and from the time of Augustus Caesar in 31 BC to the time of Domitian, when the book of Revelation is written, there were 11 emperors. By the time John writes the book of Revelation, 10 of them are dead. But they're still saying they're soter and curios. They're still spinning the, pol the political myths. During this time, the Christian proclamation began telling a different story. The Spirit, through Jesus and his witnesses, is telling a counter story to the Roman propagandists. They say Jesus is Savior and Lord because he won the battle of the kingdom of God in Judea, Galilee, and then it all ended in Jerusalem in 29 AD. He won the battle of the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension, and he poured out the Holy Spirit. Jesus has defeated death. He has taken all the powers captive. Jesus is Soter and Lord. And he brings everything under his rule. Jesus is the true Curios or Lord of the world, not Caesar. 
And, and the, answer, the question is, why? Let me just tell you, why do we say this? Why do we tell a counter story to all the myths of the propagandists of any government? Because Jesus is alive. He beat death. He's Lord. Can you all holler amen about that? It's as simple as that. People are telling lies about, you know, acting like their Savior and Lord when they're going to be dead in a few years. You hear a politician holler something crazy, he'll be dead in a few years. Right or, you know, blue or red, they'll be dead in a few years. Jesus will be Lord. That's what this is about. So we, we you know, we declare the truth here today. We we're not, I'm not up here, I'm not a spin doctor. We're not spin doctors. We're declaring the truth. And you know something that changed? Prayer changed. People began praying to God through the curios, and it wasn't Caesar, it was Jesus. In 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul said he calls us to pray through Jesus, the curios, the Lord. That's a huge word on behalf of the emperor. Caesar, Caesar is clearly under the one Lord. We give limited allegiance to political powers as an expression of our trust in the curios, Jesus, who has, all, who has absolute authority. You go a little further with it, and 30 times in Matthew, God is referred to, or Jesus is referred to, as Lord. This, this is important before you get to Matthew 22. That says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. That's in Matthew chapter 22. Now, what's, this is, the context will, will, will interpret the scripture for us. But for 22 chapters, the chapters have been saying Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. So what does it mean when he says, give Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's? Well, what it means is you give a tentative and limited to the devotion to the guy whose picture's on the coin, Caesar, while at the same time you recognize the absolute authority of the curios, Jesus. Because a few chapters later, he says, all authority has been given to me. Paul in Romans 1 to 12, speaking to a divided church over the issue of the authority of the Jewish food laws for the end times church, describes the work of God through Christ the Lord to bring all of us together into the life of the triune God. In chapters 9 through 11, he grapples with the seeming impossibility of Jews and Gentiles in, in a house church, in, in Christ being one. He says that the history of violence and hatred has been healed in Christ's body. At the end of chapter 11, he says, oh, the depths and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And then in Romans 12, 5, he says this, 
This is to a divided body. You might say there's a whole bunch of red and a whole bunch of blue in this body. There's a whole bunch of people who don't like each other in this body. And he says this, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Everybody. Everybody's everybody's brother. Like love does not rule the church. Jesus' love rules the church. Like love will give you, get you through a honeymoon. It won't get you much further. Whether it's marriage or a church. 21 times in Romans, Jesus or his father is confessed as Lord. Not Caesar. So what's happening here? The church is given authority by the Lord Jesus. Not by the government. Do you think the Iranian government is giving authority to the church there that's exploding right now? Do you think the Chinese government's giving the authority to what's going on in China right now? No, it's Jesus. Here and around the world to serve, you know, the church exists to serve the purposes of God on the earth. The church is his body. Think of this now. The church has a relationship to Jesus. The church is his body. No government on earth is his body. The church bears an authority from her head that no human government on earth possesses. We have, we have understated the nature and the reality of the church and overstated you know, the divinity of, of national politics, wherever it is, Russia, U.S., Brazil. The body of Christ is the unique instrument of the Lord's will to disciple the nations in the end times. So, so see, after now, a context again, because I want to read another passage that's being used by politicians to tell you to do whatever they tell you to do. Romans 13, 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, but there is no authority except what God has established. Now, Caesar would not have liked that verse. He would not like that verse. But it's there. Remember the context. 21 times Jesus has already been called Lord or Father has been called Curios. They have all authority. There's never a time when any government official is called Curios or Lord. They're just the powers. And Jesus has defeated the powers. So what does Romans 13 mean? Number one, it means this. In a, it, this is a temporary qualified and limited allegiance within the end times that will consummate with Christ ruling as Lord of all. And everybody who works for the government will be out of a job when the new heaven and new earth happens here. Number two, it describes the Roman authorities as ordained by God, which means authorized, ordained means authorized to serve. 
So a government official is authorized to serve by God, not absolute authorization. So he possesses a temporary limited vocation given by the Lord God. So this removes Caesar's absolute authority, replacing it in the end times with authorities. He's just one of them who are ministers of God for your good. Yes. Recently, one of the attorney generals in the United States, I'm not going to say which administration, but probably they all do it, sent a letter scolding a bunch of pastors who had written a letter to the attorney general saying that they disagreed with this policy. And I won't go into what it was. And what happened was the attorney general shot back a letter and said, haven't you read Romans 13.1? You're supposed to do what I said. I thought, man, that, that's not good Bible study. That's a, yeah, that's a proof text. Uh, that's a pretext. Sorry. You may get a, you know, it, this is the kind of thing that's going on. So there's lots of confusion. To make clear that there's some validity to what I'm saying here, think about Peter in Acts. When the authorities in Jerusalem ordered Peter to stop preaching, he didn't stop. You know what he said? Chapter 4, verse 19 to 20. He says this. I hadn't even seen this till recently. This is really cool. Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. We cannot help but speak. Peter is, understands who's in charge of the end times. He's under the Lord. He knows who's in charge. In the apocalypse, Domitian's attempting to get all the, all the churches in Asia Minor to worship him. And John is saying, no, he's overstepped. He's playing curios. He's playing Lord. And someone says, well, on what basis are you telling them to, buy, to not do what the government's saying? Well, John has received a revelation from heaven in which there are loud voices shouting the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdom of our lord and his messiah and he will reign forever and ever that's why you say no over and over that appears in the book of revelation our absolute allegiance is jesus the lord and, and I'm, I'm talking about this, I'm moving through this, but I, I want to remind you, if you haven't, re if you haven't uh, looked at the movie Hacksaw Ridge, it's a really good movie. But it's about a Christian witness, Hack Desmond Doss, World War II, who cannot pull a trigger and shoot, but he's a patriot. Just like me, I love this country. But I'm not a nationalist. I don't worship the flag, but I'm a patriot. I want, I want America, if they, if whatever they're doing against another country, I want them to win. I owe something to this country. That's not the point here. But Doss says, I, I can't do this. 
And in that movie, you'll see he gets thrown in prison, he gets beat up a lot. But you know what they finally do? They let him become a medic. And Doss wins the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saves 75 people by lowering their bodies off of a cliff at Okinawa at the end of World War II. And then the next day after he does all this, he goes back out there to, to help dying people. So he's serving his country. He's following under the lordship of Jesus. That's how he understands it. That's what I'm calling us all to. What, however that works out for you. I'm not saying you can't be in the military. I'm saying your first allegiance, the whole point today is allegiance. And you know, Doss goes out there the next day and suffers some wounds that he never gets over. And so, you know, Mel Gibson makes a movie about this just to say, this is somebody to take note of after all this time. I really like what Lee Camp says in his book, Scandalous Witness. He says, the church is putting on the show and the state is ushering and keeping order. I'll say it again. The church is putting on the show and the state is ushering and keeping order. So do not let the ushers start a fight in the aisles here. They don't have any authority in the church. Do not let any political doctrine, identity politics or whatever obscure the fact that we are precious brothers and sisters of each other. Help God help us to understand this and live this out. That the church is at the center of what God is doing in the end times and the state is on the periphery doing something important but not at the center of God's purposes. So here, let me just give some admonitions as we move to conclusion here. So what does the church do? So you say, you know, the church has got to help the world recover us. We know about me and I. We've got to recover us. Yes. Us is big. And the church is the oneness culture under the curios, under the Lord. And so I want, I think what Paul is wanting to say, and I'm going to read these scriptures, we'll put them up here, beginning with Romans 10, Romans 12, 10. There's 11 admonitions to the church he gave to Rome. I'm going to just speak these out. But let me say this. You're supposed to be conservative and liberal. Yeah. Conservative and liberal in the church. What that means is you are to conserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You're to be conservative. That's conservatism in the church. You are to be wildly liberal in the church at the same time. Wildly liberal in the way you love people. In the church and out of the church. Can I get an amen for that? Come on. Jeez. Y'all had a tough Saturday night. 
Okay, look at all these admonitions. Because the Roman church is kind of slow. They're kind of slow like the American church. So he, he doesn't, I, I thought he only gave four or five of these and we had to do three, uh, three of these, you know, sets up here. So let's look at them. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in love. He's talking, he's saying everybody. Be devoted. He's not saying, oh, be devoted to all the people you like. No, no, no. All the people you agree with. No, he didn't have to say that. They already are going to do that. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 12.16. Live in harmony with one another. Hmm. Even if you disagree, big time. Because you have one curios, one Lord. So make the main thing the main thing again in your relationship with whomever. Number three. Why do you judge your brother or sister? And then this, this is really a haunting verse. Why do you treat them with contempt? You know, contempt's a nasty word. I trust too much in my ability to be right. I think the church does too much. I've been wrong just about everything except Jesus. And if I, didn't, if I wasn't wrong, I acted wrong. Contempt, God, that doesn't have any place. That's, and then 1430, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on each other, on one another. And then on, Romans 14, 15, do not by your eating or do not by your politics today, destroy someone for whom Christ died. You know, a lot of people left the church over this stuff. They ticked off. They don't want to be in a church. They don't want to hear stuff. 1419, make every, look at all this, every, all these admonitions are relational. Relational admonitions. That's what these are. They're not just you and God. Relational. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy this amazing bringing together of people in the church for the sake of food or for the sake of your opinions about politics. Chapter 15, 5. Have the same attitude toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Powerful. I mean, that in and of itself belongs, you know, as a sermon. And then 15, 7. On down. He just keeps going on here. I count them, and there's 11. <laughs> They're slow just like me. They're slow. Look how old I am up here preaching this. It took a long time to get this. 15-7. Welcome one another. Welcome the guy you disagree with. That's a great thing to do today. Welcome one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. 15-14. You're filled with goodness filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. You can help each other, he's saying. 16, 16, greet, another, greet one another with a holy kiss. I think that's where a lot of people said, I, I'm with you, Paul, but that goes over the line. I can't do this. Still, figure that out. What, so, doesn't have to be on the lips, you know. 
1670. Watch out for those who cause divisions. Keep away from them. Just even if even if you think they're right. We live in a divided, hateful, cancel culture right now. It's a culture of rights without responsibilities. I trust too much in my ability to be right. I do it. I confess that I'm fighting it. I haven't won that yet. You know. I trust too much in my ability to be right. I have, we have too many beliefs and not enough belief. Not enough allegiance. I got too many beliefs still. I'm asking you to unload and reload. See, my freedom in Christ is limited by your good. I'm free, but not of my brothers and sisters, but for Jesus and my brothers and sisters. That's not what the world thinks freedom is. And especially, I'm free to work for the good of those who I think are wrong. And the reason why I'm free to do this is because Jesus is, is giving me this freedom and he's directing this freedom and there's not anything like it on the planet. This doesn't come from the First Amendment. I know about the First Amendment. Freedom, you know what, what, pe what Americans think? Freedom is freedom from having to love anybody. If you don't like them, leave and find you some people you do. So freedom is getting yourself in a position where all you have are like friends. Freedom in Christ is freedom to love. To where he does something in our hearts and in these community and in this community so that he expands us. Us. To include all of us. So here, I just, I just call you all to give your allegiance to Jesus as Lord and to his body and work for justice. This is important. Justice, righteousness, peace. And while you're doing it, practice hospitality all over the place with people that you do agree with and people you don't. May the Lord bless us. Help us, Lord, whatever I've said that's worth Anything, bless it, and what, anything else, kill it, destroy it. Help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So would you all stand, please? And let's have the, the band come and the prayer teams. Appreciate you hanging with us this morning, hanging with this word. And as you come for prayer, I ask you just to pray whatever's on your heart, to pray for what you needed coming in here. You had some great needs coming in. Pray those out. And I also ask that you pray. You may not think you need it, but I just pray that you become conservative. 
Our, our prayer right now needs to be that we all conserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, and we all are wildly liberal and loving. So, Lord, help us and help us people to come and be prayed for this morning as we get our needs. Help us, Lord.